You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Would your Holy Spirit be present today as we open your sacred word? Would it speak to us? Would it be life-giving to us? Would it convict, challenge, and comfort us? But ultimately, would we need your help to be present to what it is that you want to say to us? Help us, Lord. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, last week we started a sermon series. I think we're going to do eight weeks. Uh, and it's on the book of Colossians. Colossians is four chapters, and it is power-packed full of who Jesus is, the greatness of Jesus, the exaltedness of Jesus. And so I wanted to talk about it as Jesus is greater than, and then each week talk about the things that Paul wants to talk about that that Jesus is greater than. Last week we talked about how Jesus is greater than our present problems. And today is, I mean, easily top three, top five of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, talking about how wonderful Jesus is. Is. If you have any questions or answers to questions that I pose, feel free to message me. There's the phone number right there. Try to make this as much of a dialogue as possible instead of a monologue. And if there's time at the end, we'll see if we can answer any. We did just spend a lot of time praying for kids, so good luck getting your questions answered today. But we'll see, <laughs> see if we have time. So Colossians, like almost all of Paul's letters uh, we talked about last week, are, are, they're called occasional. That's a seminary word. It doesn't mean that he writes every once in a while. It means that he has an occasion to write, that there is a problem that is manifested in the church that Paul needs to address, because if he doesn't, that church is in trouble. And so almost every letter is written to address a problem. The problem in the Colossian church is that there's some bad teachers creeping up. There's people that are leading other people away. Specifically in the Colossian church, it it has its own problem. In fact, they don't even know how to name it. Sometimes they call it the Colossian problem or the Colossian heresy. But Paul wrote a letter to a group of Christians in the city of Colossae to help them with their problem. And the problem is, the the, the bad teaching that's creeping up is essentially this, that, that there's some teachers that are saying, we have secret information that you need to get to go to heaven. That heaven and spirit stuff is good, and physical and body stuff is bad, and so you need to have a strict diet, you need to treat your body poorly if you want to get to go to heaven. And that's wrong. That's not what we believe. The only secret information you need to know is Jesus. Yeah? And it's by Jesus' grace that we're saved, not through our own strict diet and the beating of our own flesh. We're not flogging ourselves in our closets, right? But these people were teaching something like that, that you have to have the right holidays and you have to have the right fast and you have to deserve the right days that are holy and you have to eat the right food and you got to get circumcised, something like that. Something with your body. you got to do a bunch of stuff to your body. And if you do that, you'll get blessed and protected and maybe even get to go to heaven someday. If you need a name for that teaching, it's called Transcendental Ascetic Philosophy. Transcendental, you're trying to overcome the flesh part of the world and become super spiritual. Ascetic, you're trying to beat your body into submission through harsh practices, philosophy, a way of thinking. And Paul's writing to say, this is wrong. All you need is Jesus. 
And so today, uh, <laughs> what I want to focus on is what Paul is focusing on, is that Jesus is greater than everything. Last week was more specific. Jesus is greater than your present problems today. Jesus is greater than everything. And I know you're like, duh. But that's what it says. So let's read it anyways. Would you read with me Colossians 1, 15 through 23? in your scriptures. It's going to be near the end if you have it. It'll also be on the screen if you don't want to go all the way there. I'm going to read it slow because this is one of the most majestic passages in scripture about who Jesus is. One of the main emphases in this passage is the word all. And if you would be so bold, if you see the word all, when I'm reading, would you say it with me just so we can just feel the emphasis of this word? It'll be on the screen too, and those are bolded. We're starting in verse 15. Talking about Jesus, Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over creation. Because things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus existed before and things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is first born from among the dead so that he might occupy the first place in everything. In the Greek, that's the same word, all. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in Jesus and he reconciled all things to himself. Through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens, Jesus brought peace through the blood of his cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies with him in your minds, which was shown to you by your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. But you need to remain well established and rooted in faith and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you heard. This message has been preached throughout, thank you, all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, became a slave, a servant of this good news. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we do at the Table Church, three points, head, heart, hands, something for us to know, feel, do, because the information needs to affect us personally. Otherwise, it's just information. And as that information becomes transformation, it helps us to work out this good news into the world around us. And so I always ask, what does God want us to know, feel, or do? And with that, here's what I feel like Paul is getting at, at least for me, at least for this week. Jesus didn't come to bring answers for all our problems. He is the answer to all our problems. He's not here to just make you feel better or to provide solutions to things that you're going through. He is the solution 
to all the stuff you're going through. Look what he says. All things were created through him and for him. All things for him. He existed before all things, and all things are held together in him. Jesus isn't just somebody offering it advice. He didn't come to just kind of help you go along to get along. He is the solution. He is the answer. Answer is his name to every problem that plagues you and the world. I believe it. That's why I do this as a job. There are other jobs I can do. This is, I do this job because I sincerely believe that Jesus is the answer to all your problems and all the world's problems. I know it's cliche. I do believe it. This is one of my favorite professors in seminary. He, got to come, he came to Orville to visit me. And so uh, that's why he's one of my favorite professors. His name's Nijay Gupta, brilliant scholar of Paul's letters. And I'm walking, as I do this sermon series, I'm going through his commentary on Colossians. I think it's the greatest commentary ever re- written because my name is in it, which is lovely. <laughs> I tell people I'm published all the time. It's just my name. I had a class with him on Colossians. We sat down, me and another student, which was one of the great honors of, of my time with him. And he says in his, in his introduction, I also taught a graduate seminar with two outstanding students <laughs> and who made insightful presentations on this particular part of the Colossian household code, the house to phone. Thank you, James Lackey. Yeah. And my, my, my peer, Annie Vanderpool. I'm certain that many of the conversations that took place in this course, often over coffee at the place I worked, Tully's, produced insight that are reflected in the final pages of this book. So you're welcome, Dr. Gupta. I, thanks for the shout out. He says, leading into this passage that we just read, this is what he says in his commentary, Paul did not desire to direct attention to the preeminence of Christ per se. What he's saying is, he didn't write this letter to tell you how great Jesus is. That's not the purpose of this letter. It's not just to tell you how great Jesus is. Remember, I told you they're occasional. He's addressing a problem. The reason he's telling you about how great Christ is, he says, Paul established this supremacy to teach the Colossians that Christ is ever and always the solution to their fears and perplexities. In Colossians, Paul is tenaciously emphatic that whatever the problem is, Christ is the solution. Jesus didn't come to give you solutions to the problems of your life. He is the solution. And the reason why this is important is because the Colossian Christians and 2023 Orville American Christians, when we come up against problems, we get scared. And when we get scared, we start looking to other places for solutions outside of Jesus. And Paul wants to remind us the only thing you need, the most important thing you need in your life is Christ. You're going to be tempted to look at false wisdom, false solutions, quick fixes, and Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the answer to everything or he's the answer to nothing. And if you believe this, you don't need to take your eyes off Christ to get through the difficulties of life. Jesus has got you. So that is, according to this scholar and according to me, who borrowed it from this scholar, the reason why we have this big, majestic passage about who Jesus is. It's not just theology for you to memorize. 
It's assurance that when you put your faith in Christ, you put your faith in the right place. Because Jesus is the solution to all of life's problems. What does God want us to feel then or experience in the midst of that? What were the feeling, emotional language in the middle of that passage? As always, peace is always going to be around the corner when we're talking about Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Peace isn't found in the absence of storms, but in the presence of God. That's what Paul wants us to experience. He says it because... Here's a bunch of majestic things said about Jesus, and then at the end of that he says, because the fullness of God was pleased to live in Jesus. So we got pleased here. God is pleased, right? God isn't mad or angry here. God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. And God the Father reconciled all things to himself through Jesus, whether things on earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of Jesus' cross. God wants you to experience peace. And then he's going to do this past-future thing. Because once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your own mind to God, which was shown by your evil actions, but now you have been reconciled. You've been brought back together, reconnected to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And the experience that Paul wants you to have because of that reality is peace. It's peace. The peace that comes from Christ, making us one to the Father is the deepest peace that we can experience. You want peace. I want peace. A lot of us are doing a lot of things to try to find peace. And Paul's telling us, if you want the deepest peace you can experience, abide in the reality that Jesus has made you one with the Father, that you are no longer enemies of God, but you are now one, connected, close, proximity. That peace is not the absence of storms. There's always going to be storms in life, no matter how holy you are. Peace is found in the presence of God. I was reading a story about 1492. You're thinking of Columbus, but this is a different... There's other parts of the world going on in that year. And in Ireland, there were two families that were having a bitter feud, the Butler clan and the Fitzgerald clan. And one of them... They both wanted one of their sons to become basically the president of Ireland, which was under English rule at the time, but you could be the, the king's number one. And so these families were fighting over which one of their sons was going to be the king's number one. And that feud began to escalate. And it went from words to, to shunning each other to trying to smear one another and their reputation. And finally one day, outside the city of Dublin, it came to violence. A mini war happened between these two families. The Fitzgerald family ran into the cathedral, St. Patrick's Cathedral there in Dublin, and was hiding in a wing of the church. And the Butler clan came into the church and said, come on out, let's make peace. And the Fitzgerald clan said, they're going to kill us right here in this church. We are definitely not coming out of this room. We're hiding in this whole wing of this church. And the Butler clan said, no, no, no. Come on out, we'll make peace. And this 
Fitzgerald clan said, absolutely not. We refuse. We will not be killed in this church. We will not be killed at all over this feud that we're having. And so the Butler clan began tearing away pieces of this door, taking their weapons and just hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. And finally, the patriarch of the Butler clan stuck his arm through the door to try to shake hands. And the Fitzgerald clan said, if he's willing to lose his arm, if he's willing to chance his arm for peace, then maybe we can trust him. This door is still in uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral there in Dublin. They call it the Door of Reconciliation. The family came out. They made peace together that day. And in Ireland, they still have a phrase called to chance your arm. And it comes from this story. If you're willing to chance your arm for forgiveness or reconciliation, then you must be serious. And also, reconciliation and forgiveness requires vulnerability, right? You can still see this door there to this day. Peace was made that day through the door of reconciliation. This is a story, an example of what Paul is talking about with Christ. That Christ chanced his whole body, and we killed him on the cross, but the cross becomes a door to reconciliation. By dying, Jesus opened the door to everlasting peace with the Father, who is no longer our enemy, but the one whom we get to call Father. We get that peace through the reconciliation that Jesus provides to us because now we are one with God again, just like before the fall, just like before all that history. Jesus makes us one with the Father. Paul wants you to experience that peace because if we ground our peace into the close presence of God, then we won't need the false peace outside of Christ that tempts all of us the security, the peace that we think comes with fame and fortune and popularity and people and power. We don't have to look for those things to solve our issues because Jesus is the answer to our problems and the peace that we desperately want is found in his death and resurrection. So what do we do then if that's true? The information that Jesus is the solution, the experience, peace that comes from Christ's cross, what do we do with that? What do we do? Good question. Paul says you need to be too grown to give up. Don't give up. Once you were alienated from God, Paul says, but now you're not. He does this past future thing. The past, you were separated from God. You were enemies with God. That was, that's what causes the lack of peace in our world. That's the anxiety in the world is because you were separated from God and the world is separated from God. But now because of Jesus, you are one with the Father. And in the future, your future, your destiny, the thing that Jesus is bringing you to is that he's going to present you to the Father holy and faultless and without blame. Past separated from God, enemies with God, anxiety, future, so close to the Father, oneness with the Father, holy, faultless, and without blame. So what do we do right now in between that, right? Past, once you were alienated, future, going to, going to present yourself before God is holy. What do you do right now? That's your past, and that's your future. Paul says, remain rooted. See what he says? 
You need to remain well-established and rooted in faith. And don't shift away from the hope given to you in the good news of Jesus Christ that you heard. It's not just for you. It's for the whole world. All creation is getting the same message that Jesus is the way to be at peace and the solution for all creation. Remain rooted. You've come too far to give up. You've grown too much to give up. If that's your past and that's your future, stay. Put right where you are, which is probably the hardest advice. You're all like, yeah, give me something to do. I want a checklist. What can I do? What can I do? Give me something active to do. And Paul says, if that's your past and that's your future, then stay in this lane. Stay right here with Christ. Stop looking for solutions to your problem outside of Jesus. Stop looking for peace outside of Jesus. And if you are looking for peace and answers in Jesus, then stay right there. Stay right there. This is uh, a swimmer, Florence Chadwick, first woman to ever swim the English Channel there and back. She broke all kinds of records. But one thing she wanted to do, she grew up in San Diego. She grew up in Point Loma, uh, like high school and middle school. Uh, She wanted to swim to Catalina Island. 26 miles. And the first, I think it was 1950, 51, 52, I forget. Anyway, she started swimming. She had some boats around her. One was her mom. You know, part of the thing the boats are out there for is to make sure you don't get eaten by sharks. So you kind of want those out there. And she started swimming, and she started swimming, and she started swimming, and 15 hours in, uh, a fog set in. And... She swam one more hour, and then she gave up. Didn't make it. Got in the boat, and then they drove towards where they were told the land would be based on their instruments, couldn't see it because of the fog, and they were like a mile or less away from land. She was this close. Said she was heartbroken, partly because she couldn't see the shoreline. Two months later, she says, I'm going to do it again. Halfway through the swim, fog sets in again. But this time, she knew. She said, I kept the shoreline in my mind. I envisioned it, I kept it in my mind, and I just kept swimming. She made it. First woman to do it. Yes, good for Florence Chadwick. Crush, she swam everything. If there was a thing to swim, she swam it. She was amazing. But that's her story about trying to swim to Catalina. Just stayed put which is what she was mad about the first time. If she just would have stayed in the water, she would have made it. But she was worried she was off course. She worried she was never going to make it. She was worried she would give up, and she did. She gave up. And two months later, she successfully completed it. This is what Paul is telling you to do. If your past was in enmity with God and your future is now going to be before God, faultless and holy, and you're on the right track, and and you've walked through the door of reconciliation, which is Jesus' cross, then stay put. Just stay in that lane. Keep going. Of course there's going to be fog. Of course there's going to be darkness. Of course there's going to be obstacles. Being with Jesus doesn't remove those things. But the majesty and the preeminence and the exalted Christ will help us through because Christ is above all those things and everything you encounter, right? 
Jesus made all, and it is through him that all things were made, and he is before all, and he is over all, and he's got you. Paul says, remember your past, keep your eye on the future, but in the present remain rooted. Stay right there. And if Jesus is your present and your future, then just keep going. Just keep going. And if Jesus is not your present or your future, then you're in trouble. And that's your decision point today. Did you, do you, are you not experiencing that peace? Do you feel like you've not put your trust in Jesus' work on the cross? Are you looking for other things outside of Christ to be the solutions to the problem of your life? That's where Paul says we get off track and we start heading down roads that lead to death and darkness. So I can tell you to remain rooted and stay where you are, but if your faith isn't in Christ, don't stay where you are. Get into Christ. Walk through the door of reconciliation. I'm going to pray for that, for those who want to make that prayer, and for all of us that we would remain remain rooted in the work that Jesus has already done for us and that we've already put our faith in. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. Thank you that this passage is overwhelmingly majestic about who Jesus is, your son. Would you help us to keep it before us, recognizing that Jesus is above all, all things were made in and through him, and that there's nothing outside of him that we should put our hope in or that we have to be afraid of. Lord, for those of us who have not put our faith in you, for those of us who don't experience the peace that you promise, for those of us who are looking to solve all our own issues through the wisdom and foolishness of the world instead of by faith in Christ, would you convict our hearts today? Would you challenge us to rethink our lives, to rethink our allegiances, to rethink the places that we have put our faith other than you, And may we, like these Colossian Christians, proclaim that all things can experience peace through the blood shed on your cross. Through your death and by your resurrection, we can be saved. We can experience that peace and security and that joy and that love that you desire for us. Help us to put our faith in that. For the first time and daily, and for eternity. And fathers, we come now to this time of communion, as this time of gathering around your table in remembrance of your death and resurrection. Would you help us to make decisions here at the bread and the cup to participate, to put our faith in your cross as the place of victory, as the place of peace, as the place where you poured out your love for us and your desire for us to be close to you. And we will give you thanks and praise for your goodness. Saying these things in Jesus' name. Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.